0: And on this episode of Miami mic Up, I am pleased to be joined by three of my favorite people who are now here on this Zoom call with me. Uh, very excited. We've got Jordan McPherson of the Miami Herald, Christina Nicola of MLB.com, and Daniel Alvarez of, and I've been practicing this, El Extra Base.
1: There you go.
0: Uh, I was able to do it. I'm very excited. Uh, super excited to have you three guys here. And um, the reason for those listening that we decided to do this not round table zoom square table thing that we're doing uh, is because these three are covering the Marlins daily. They're the three people who are in and around the clubhouse every single day. Um, And I thought it would be a great time to be able to speak with them now post trade deadline as we head into the rest of the season here in early August. Uh, And the place that we really have to start because of the game that we all watched together last night, Sandy Alcantara just continues to be, incredible uh he is he is he's been the best pitcher in baseball uh in my view and i'm I'm sure i will hear some of that from you guys a shutout last night we do not say complete game shutout that is redundant uh bounced back from what was considered a, a rough start in his view that just shows how great he is two hour and nine minute game which thank you very much sandy for those of us who 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 work in this um christina you were the first person on the zoom call so i'll start with you uh as his greatness just continues to grow this season, what's impressed you most?
2: Well, I mean, in a day and age where pitchers aren't going deep into games, it's a throwback, and he wants to. Uh, I mean, it's it's great to see, <laughs> it, and just especially just seeing how he's evolved since he you know came over to the Marlins. You know, when we weren't sure if he was going to be a starter or he's going to have to go to the bullpen because he didn't throw up strikes. You know, he had 22 pitches in the first inning yesterday, and he's able to throw a shutout. You know, that just shows you how far he's come.
0: Yeah, it's amazing Um, his his ability to be able to just get outs, whether it's via the strikeout or just pitching to contact. Um, Jordan and Danny, is there anything that sort of stood out to you guys? Jordan, you can go ahead.
3: Yeah, for me, it's not just what's been happening this season. It's just I, my first year on the B was 2019, his first full year in the rotation so to the c Just that evolution of him knowing himself as a pitcher and him having the confidence in himself. Because that was something that when you talk with pitching coach Mel Salemaier Jr., every time like, we've been they've been trying to just yank that confidence out of him forever, it feels like. And he's finally gotten to the point where he knows that he's the ace. He's the leader of this rotation. He's he knows that he's one of the best pitchers in baseball and he's not afraid anymore. That was one of the things where Even when he was having his great years, whenever he would go up against, say, the Braves and had a Ronald Acuna Jr., he would say that he still sometimes was hesitant to pitch to his strengths because sometimes that gets in the way of what might happen otherwise. He was afraid of some of the consequences that may have come. Now he's just like, at this point, I know who I am. I know I can get you out. I'm going to get you out. And to see him with that confidence and for it to exude through the clubhouse and for him to be able to bring that to the rest of the rotation has also been to me a very pleasant sight to see see that evolve over this year
0: you know it's funny when when I had him on here and we were talking about those those moments like in his career he mentioned specifically that complete game against the Mets a couple of years back as sort of a turning point and then being at the all-star game for the first time and surrounded by all of those other superstars and sort of realizing like oh okay I'm here, I'm I'm one of these guys now, let's really turn it on. And we've seen the type of aggressive in the zone guy that he's been since. And you mentioned it, like that was the only question that Mel Stoudemire ever seemed to have was, how am I going to get this guy to be ultra aggressive? Danny, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, and, and with that, not only we've seen him growing up as a pitcher, but as a person as well. And it, it may, maybe it sounds like a little detail. But having him to speak English every single day with the media, with his teammates, it mm-hmm. just shows the confidence and how much he has grown up as a human being as well and how mature he is right now. And I think that's good for this young group coming up with Eury Perez or the other young guys that are seeing him as a role model, knowing that, okay, I can be not only talented as Sandy, but also uh, a human as Sandy is right now. So that's, that's for me, the one of the most important things you don't see that on the box score on baseball reference page, but it's definitely there. and It's definitely helping, and as Christine and Jordan mentioned, the, the confidence and, and the type of pitcher he is right now—it's um, something really, really impressive. And and it obviously it, he's going to get to a point where maybe he's not going to be not one hundred percent, but maybe innings getting gonna get monitored or something yeah. like that now we know that he's gonna be like seven days without pitching um but you don't see him slowing down ever like he just goes and he's like yeah I'm gonna have a two and a half hour workout and just gonna be fine for for my next start and having that stamina and that durability uh, you know these days it's something that you don't see that much around the league It's been
0: really wonderful to see him train to be that guy, right? Like he talks about it with us all the time of like, yeah, obviously I'm going to go out there and throw a bunch of innings. That's what I'm training my body to do. And there's not a lot of pitchers who seem to value that within their own games, particularly guys with the type of stuff that Sandy has. So to take the stuff and go, all right, but what if what if I just extended that out? Because then I can be our best pitcher in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning as well. And, I mean, yesterday was that perfect example. A long first inning, like you mentioned, Christina. And then from there, he's able to cruise because he knows what he has to do to sort of get back in there. But uh, let's talk about the trade deadline now. Uh, the Marlins only made one trade. We'll talk about another pitcher on this staff in just a second. But their one trade, Anthony Bass and Zach Pop go to Toronto for Jordan Groshans. Uh, this was the big swap for them um what do we think of the move uh and what do we think it says about their mindset not only this year but the roster moving forward potentially into 2023 jordan we'll start with you
3: yeah so with the trade itself i get what they're going for they had a lot of bullpen guys they had a lot of guys who can do those six seventh eighth inning roles that anthony bass was primarily the seventh inning guy zach pop was more or less six inning a multi-inning guy And with guys like Anthony Bender coming back, Cole Solcer coming back, and knowing who they had, they felt like they had a surplus, relatively speaking, of bullpen guys, and they were going for a potential back for the future, a shortstop third baseman. In the moment, I still I felt like just getting groshans while trading away both of those guys felt like they gave away a little too much, but I understand where the logic came from, where it wasn't like they were trading away something and it didn't have a replacement on the immediate roster Mm -hmm. to start building for the future. I understand the logic of the move in terms of the pieces given away. It felt like it was a little too much, but who knows maybe I'll get proven wrong in a year or so when this guy makes his debut.
0: Yeah. Who knows? And, and you know, we always talk about whether it's this Marlins roster or anybody else trading from a position of strength, at least that was one where the Marlins looked at it and went, okay, like you just mentioned, Jordan, we have a sort of surplus of relief pitchers. Let's try to utilize these guys. Anthony Bass, who is having a terrific season, is probably going to help Toronto a lot. Uh, take these guys and, and package them for something that theoretically we need back. So, so Danny, what are your thoughts on, on Jordan Groshans and getting back a player who you know is a top 100 prospect in baseball, one of the top prospects in the Blue Jays system?
1: Yeah, I think it was necessary to have a guy like this because even though the Marlins have plenty of depth in that middle infield position, with many shortstops, many second basemen, and also a couple third basemen, they're not quite ready yet, or quite close yet, to to make that big big jump, and that's really important. Have we been seeing this year with the Jazz injury, mm-hmm. um, Miguel Rojas, you know, having 32, 33 years old, maybe uh, not at the level that w- where where he wants, and needing some help uh, in you know for some games, and having Luke Williams sometimes playing second base or. Williams to sometimes as well yeah. um, also John Betty going into onto the IL you need you, you need that depth in that in that position and Gros maybe he's not a regular guy but he can definitely help uh, day in and day out by playing third second short and also the play discipline that, that he brings I think it's it's very important it's something that the team really needs right now Christina do
0: you think rather what do you think that this says about their plan sort of moving forward at the infield position. Like, do do we believe that this puts the Marlins in position maybe to be letting go of some of the guys that we've grown accustomed to, or is this more just of a, hey, there's some depth, uh, and and we're kind of going from there to make sure that that something like this doesn't happen where you're going down so far, um, from major league players.
2: There's a few things uh, when the trade happened, and Danny briefly alluded to it. One, uh, and I've mentioned it, I think earlier in the week when we got to talk with Kimang, but. That draft night when Jacob Barry was taken, uh uh one of the things they kept saying was plate discipline, you know, strike zone awareness. And we keep on hearing that about Roshans. And I think there's not necessarily a shift, but it's something that uh Aang and the organization values or maybe starting to value more. Uh, you know, we're seeing so much swing in this uh this season. And it's been frustrating, I'm sure, for fans, us watching, covering the team, I'm sure the players as well, but there might be a bit of a shift there. And Grosham is one of those guys, Barry. Uh, but then in terms of, you know, with the infielders already on the team, you know, we were talking earlier today, I think Danny and I, just Brian Anderson, unfortunately, two straight years now, lost to injury. Yeah. How much, can you trust him moving forward? Honestly, even John Barry at the same point. But he's got the versatility, so he's got his value in that way. You know, Joey Wendell has, what, one more year of club control. Same thing with Miguel Rojas. Uh, so those are things you have to, you know, consider Having security, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned Danny did about, you know, the younger, they're lower level bats, right. You know, with the Jose Salas's, you know, the Khalil Watson's, you know, the Nassim Nunez, there's not really those, there's not a triple a infield bat that's, you know, should other injuries happen as we've seen plenty this year, that was ready to come up and help out, you know, like last year we saw with Jose Devers, absolutely be, be right rushed up uh so yeah they address that need but it will be interesting to see moving forward
0: for that matter in the in the way that we're starting to speak about it it almost reminds me of the moves at the deadline last year to acquire more catching because it was the same conversation of oh wait where's the triple a level catchers and look at what ended up happening and peyton, peyton henry was the guy who was on the roster to start the year and when he got hurt all right here comes nick fortez Nick Fortez comes up and, and look at what he's done. He's been terrific for the Marlins in the time that he's been with the team. So it's all about sort of establishing more depth at that level. and and who knows? Again, a guy with a lot of potential um, who maybe hasn't quite been what was anticipated, but you know we keep hearing that the Marlins really liked him in that draft uh, in 2018 before he was taking the pick before them. Um, so clearly he's someone that that uh, has been on their mind for a while. but uh, the trade that didn't happen. Right. Uh, The trade that everybody was was monitoring and I don't think anybody was necessarily hoping for, uh, because I know at least everybody right here on the Zoom, we all really love Pablo Lopez, Uh, Pablo Lopez, Um, the decision not to move him. What was, Danny, your first reaction when you heard that news? And what do you think of the decision overall to keep him on the
1: roster? As a Venezuelan aside of Rio. It's like
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> he
3: stayed here. He yeah.
1: stayed here. That's great. But at the but at the same time, well, um, Kim mentioned he's very popular and he's still very popular. I, I think it's kinda risky at one point. On the other side, yes, it, it is a good move because you need you need Pablo and, and you need that one too with pa, with Sandy and Pablo to stay healthy through a whole year because you don't wanna Rush guys like Luzardo, Cabrera, maybe other younger arms that might not be ready to pitch for a for a full season, and especially having injuries in 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 the past. And you need those two guys also. Pablo has the the injury history during his whole career, and that's the yeah. risky part because now he's he now he's very valuable, and and we clearly we clearly saw that. But teams, and and I think this is the reason why the trade didn't happen, or or one of the reasons is because. Yeah, we know that he's very good, but at the same time, he he doesn't have that much playoff experience. Just one start in in that 2020 COVID mm-hmm. season, and also he hasn't pitched more than 115 innings in his, his whole, during his whole career in a in a full season. So it's tough to to give away some two or three top prospects for a pitcher that you may not know if he's going to stay healthy. Through a whole year, so it's it was good for the Marlins to keep to keep him, and and now you you just can hope that he stays healthy all year long, and may, maybe you see what happens during the winter uh, because if if he really proves that he can stay healthy, then he's going to be even more valuable with two right. years left of control, and you may not even think about trading him or maybe just keeping long term. I mean, why not? But uh, I think it was good decision for the Marlins or maybe any other team.
3: Like Danny mentioned, it wasn't like they had to trade Pablo. Right. By Tuesday, they he's under team control through 2024. Guess the injury stuff there is that concern and it is a legitimate concern, but now they also have the gamble if he ends up pitching through the full season, come winter meetings time, who knows. value could still go up. They'll still be the two years control still going to be there. And when you look at what he's done this year, he's shown the, the growth this year that honestly just the fact that he's pitched and was been only it's only been two games in the second half and that still feels like to me a win just because of last year he didn't pitch at all in the second half the covid season 2020 he only had to make 11 starts right so the fact that you're seeing even if it's a little more longevity and the fact that his shoulder does look like It is in a better place right now than it was at this point a year ago. As knock on wood, there.
0: Everybody doing the same thing.
3: (laughs) But it's still it's a sign of the of growth there. And if the Marlins weren't gonna get the offer that threw it, that made it worth saying yes, we'll send them off. There was no need to make the trade just to say yes, we made the trade.
0: That's the big part, right? Um, and, and Christina, you can elaborate on this if you'd like. But being in a position, again, we talk about trading from a position of strength. Kim Eng came on our broadcast yesterday and said, you know, we were just listening. You know, th- this was not an active shopping of Pablo Lopez. This was people approaching us. We find out how popular he is. And now, to be perfectly honest, the Marlins have a chance to, should Pablo stay healthy through the rest of the season, be in a position this winter knowing just how much command there was. So Christina, what's your thought in regard to, you know, the control still being there for a couple of more years?
2: Oh, I mean, absolutely. That's, you know, the biggest commodity deadline time winter meetings is controllable arms. And that's, you know, something the Marlins have. So they have the power, you know, as long as the pitchers stay healthy, of course. But I think that's also, you know, Danny had alluded to it, just the you know, the one-two punch of Sandy and Pablo, but also he's more proven than those guys behind him who also have injury histories, but they're also a lot more inexperienced, whether it's Lazardo, Cabrera, um, obviously Sixto, so we can't forget him. Uh, Poteet was around for a bit, and he's unfortunately hurt again. But that those are one of those things, you know, Kimmang mentioned that, I hate to call it a surplus of starting pitching, because we've seen it so much this season that mm-hmm. that surplus can quickly be not a surplus, and it gets exposed. Um, So it's actually kind of remarkable what they've been able to do despite all those injuries this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, so that, like, as you said, that she had mentioned on the broadcast last night, there's a big distinction between uh, trying to shop around, you know, ship them off somewhere. And that's just what teams do during the trade deadline is you listen on anyone and you get an idea of how much their value is, what their worth is. You get to see what Luis Castillo uh, the deal was like the Frankie Montas one, and you get a better idea. So if you know he stays healthy, uh, Winter means, as she mentioned whether it was with the Pablo stuff or others, like you can revisit them in the
0: offseason. and revisiting in the offseason obviously doesn't just have to include Pablo. That's this team has all of these arms that are electric arms that are in a position for that matter. You've had other guys come up and be more successful than I think a lot of us anticipated at the big league level, whose value only rises there as well. So this is not to ship anybody out. This is more just a conversation of you're always wanting to trade from positions of strength, like we were just talking about and, Man, it is fun to see a one-two punch of 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 Sandy and Pablo, who are also just like best friends, right? Like that that part of it is fun. Where you had we have other teams that we know of back in the day, like Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, literally hated each other. When you have best friends at the front of the rotation, it's it's kind of fun. Um, but obviously, you know, we've sort of mentioned all of this in our conversation. The Marlins have fallen out of it at this point. Nine nine games under five hundred. Uh, they've lost five of their last six. They're five and nine in the second half where you were kind of hoping at, at what was supposed to be an easier part of the schedule. They would make a bit of a run to get back into things before the deadline. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Now, eight and a half back of the wild card. Um, Christina, I, I'll go right back to you. Uh, why have things sort of fallen apart here In uh, from your point of view?
2: Two words, injuries, underperformance.
0: Ah, so fallen apart, actually, you know, it actually is happening. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think what, before we started recording, we were trying to think, I think 18 guys on the yeah. list probably was the max at one point at the same time. Uh, the thing that's interesting is, you know, there is more depth than there was last year or the year before. So they imagine if they didn't have, you know, the Luke Williamses or, you know, or the pitchers we had mentioned before to kind of fill in how much worse it could be. Cause you know, it's one thing to be like, "Oh, these are the lineups; they're you know putting out there this and that." But you've got you know All-Star Jazz and Jr., All-Star Garrett Cooper at the same time. around, Brian Anderson. You know Joey Wendell was out a couple times. There was that stretch Birdie's been there. out for a there while. Birdie, There's a stretch where like four different infielders were sidelined, and you know Miguel Rojas is banged up and having to go out there just because there's not enough you know bodies Birdie to was doing
0: that. We were all yes. talking about it. We all knew yeah. before Birdie actually got like hurt, hurt. That he, he was exhausted, you know, like he was kind of openly talking about how exhausted he was. So that's and that's a, a good example. Well, it's
2: one of those things too, you wonder, you know, then he ends up getting hurt however many weeks later, stealing a base, you know, yeah. the rate he was going at was incredible. You know, that's stuff that stuff catches up no matter how, you know, if you're doing that stretching, keeping your body, you know, prepared. It's just that wear and chair. I mean, it's a hundred and sixty two game season, right? That's that's unheard of in the other stuff. But, yeah, so that's all that everyone else you know, thought
0: <laughs> there. Yes, exactly. Jordan or, or Danny, you guys have any thoughts here? Yeah, I'll pick up from there. I mean, Christina
3: mentioned a bunch of the injuries with there. I mean, I feel like we're at a point where one or two more I.L. sinks and we might be soothing up on game day at
0: this point. <laughs> hey, don't but, don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah,
3: and honestly, you do not want to see that, at least on my end. I know Christina played, played <laughs> softball in high school. I know she, has, she could probably hold her own out there. I know it would not be pretty if you had <laughs> to see me out there. But – on that note, when you go to the underperformance side that Christina also touched on at the beginning, you look at a couple of their big signings, Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler, and they just yeah. they haven't lived up to expectation. I mean, both are on the IL right now, but Avi OPS under 600. Soler was basically giving them what they were expecting. He had, about I think it was like 13 home runs in 60-some-odd games. So that's on a close to a 30 home run pace with a mid-200s average. That's what they were expecting from Soler exactly. when they signed him. Avisel Garcia being with his numbers being as low as they are and him having to be somewhere in the three to five line part of the line, because that's the prototype of is of what his bat brings. And just you see a glimpse here, a glimpse there, some bad luck here, some bad luck there. And then just the the droughts. That doesn't really bode well when you're knowing you're riding this guy out there every day, hoping that the breakthrough is going to come, that they're going to rise, that the water is going to rise to the level, as Don Mattingly said all year. And we're at August at this point and the water, the tide hasn't come up. That's really, that was a big part of it saying back, in addition to all the other injuries, putting even more pressure on them because they didn't have the other guys around them to, to do what they need to do.
0: Unfortunately, it feels like a lot of the guys who were either performing to expectation or above expectation are the guys who ultimately got injured and a lot of the guys that we continued to see every day are some of those ones who are underperforming Danny how much would you say you know those are the two mixes right injuries and and lack of performance so on a sliding scale there which is kind of more you know we've had both explanations here which is sort of in your view more or is this really kind of a clean 50-50 split between the two
1: yeah, it could be close to 50-50 or 60-40 because at the, at the beginning of the year, we saw how good this team could have been. Obviously, it's April, it's different. It's tough to evaluate a, a, sure. a whole team just by the first month, but they were having some good competition, some good rivals, and they ended up having a seven or eight winning streak, and, and they were playing very good baseball with everyone uh, healthy. So you think, well, maybe with some continuity to this, I'm not saying that they could have been a playoff team, but at least fighting for a 500 or even above above 500 would have been very good for them. And maybe I, I was having this conversation with, with Abisael a couple of days back. Uh, hitting is contagious, and also underperforming might be contagious as well. And injuries leading to players out, and then Ab- Abisael, Aguilar, Soler, sometimes any other player were having tough stretches and they just couldn't find a way to to turn it around. With, with Isabel, for example, I think Christina was there as well. He was talking about maybe having to adjust to to a new division, to a new ballpark. Obviously, maybe he had more protection in those years with the Rays, the White Sox or the Brewers, and also different stadium and different pitching. At the same time, in in, in those divisions, uh, obviously he had to adapt to a new ballpark, a huge ballpark. It's very different from Tampa Bay or, mm-hmm. or uh, Miller Park or whatever name they have now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me we will always say Miller. Yeah, it's all just changing all the time. So so yeah, it's it's definitely disappointing. He's the first one that knows uh, how disappointing of a season it is, and what you just hope is that um, well maybe with the last. Couple months or or 2023, things might change. Having one year here under his under his belt, and and things m- might be different. I think that obviously fans get desperate because of the bad season that he's having. But if when you sign a guy like Soler or or Garcia to that amount of money and years, you need to trust a little bit more uh, because. They signed them for a reason, and they mm-hmm. they have a track record for more than a decade that they can hit they, they can hit in, in this level. So uh, yeah, it's disappointing, but I think that they have to give him at least one more shot.
0: Yeah, certainly, and you know it'll be. Uh... It'll be interesting to see how both of those guys sort of approach the rest of the season and, and you know, theoretically this offseason going into next year. Um, you know, Solaire does also have an option. Um, I don't know that he would take it after injuries like this, but there's an option there. Um, you know, one of the, unfortunately, one of the other players who had a great a- April uh, but has struggled since is Jesus Sanchez. Um, and the news was earlier today. Um, Jesus Sanchez will be headed down to AAA. But what that does mean is the promotion of Peyton Burdick, um, which I think a lot of us are, are really happy about. A lot of us have been wanting to see him for a while. Um, Christina, I did see your tweet earlier today, so I'm, I am going to start with you on this news. Um, Peyton Burdick up, Jesus Sanchez down. Your thoughts? Well,
2: I think the last couple days since the deadline, one of the things whether it's Don Mattingly or even Kim saying is we have to figure out what we want out of the rest of the season. What do we want to find out? And this is a perfect example. Find out what he didn't can provide. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to have him. You want him to have some big league experience heading into 2023. You know, you don't want it. The same, honestly, almost the same way, but a little smaller amount of time, what they had with Paisley Sanchez last year. Sure. That, that was part of the trade yep. very early on. It was in May, maybe June, uh, with Paisley Sanchez, you know, Corey Dickerson being shipped off. Right. It, right. Was, it opened up a space a spot for him to play every day, Sanchev. And, uh, so that's, you know, the first thing I think of, uh, verdict got off to a slow start. Obviously last year did very well. I think he said, you know, home run walk records for double A Pensacola, got the promotion slow start this year. Uh, the last month he's kind of picked it up and he's one of those guys, you know, seems like, you know, the low average, but walks a lot. Right. And that's something that, we've seen sanchez doesn't do uh he can play all the different outfield spots and uh, i think a couple of days ago he had a grand slam so he's uh, the last past month though uh working with the plants here what you his name but like <laughs> he seems to be like the hitting guru right because he helps jj yeah uh, at the afl but so he seems to be working his magic with Burdick of late so that's my
3: synopsis. Just yeah, real quick again, just like Christine said with Burdick, you're also getting it similar with what you're getting, you're seeing with JJ Blade, getting him the extended time. You're seeing what you have with Charles LeBlanc. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name right now. We've <laughs> been talking about this forever. Christina. LeBlanc. There we go. I will let Chris I will defer to Christine on name pronunciation here as we go along here. But yeah, the Marlins, again, they have all they have the outfielders, obviously the big guys they signed with Soler and Avi. You also have the prospect. You have Jesus Sanchez, De La Cruz, Peyton Burdick, JJ. Herrera uh, and Carnacion. Yeah, you've got you have to figure out who you want as your core for going into 2023. You've got to give each you if you want to know who you have, you got to give them a shot. And Jesus Sanchez, like like Jeremy mentioned, had a very strong start to the year, had teetered off more or less down the stretch, and you can see there is a lot of mental part of the game that's really been impacting him. I feel like it's been a lot more mental than physical. And the truth of the matter is it, it's going to be a matter of time when whether it was with, with Lede coming up in the Pittsburgh series. I'm pretty sure if Solaire didn't get hurt and that was the way they got Lede up, pretty sure that's how Lede would have come up with Sanchez hmm. going down, whether hmm. it was in Pittsburgh or in Cincinnati. At that point, they wanted Lede up so they could see what they had. And before the Solaire injury, that was really the would have been the only logical way was either Sanchez or De La Cruz going down. And it makes sense for Lede being lefty, Sanchez being a lefty, And De La Cruz, them being comfortable with him at all three outfield spots to keep him as the fourth outfielder. So the fact that they're now doing it this way, it's just they want to see the next guy and figure out who they have. And again, at this point of the year where they're nine out, they're nine under 500. They're about that far out of the playoff race with two months to go. Might as well start seeing who you have and. Figuring out what figuring out what you have at your disposal to start to start getting those decisions, or at least start helping frame what decisions you might make in the offseason.
0: So, Danny, is that is that what the rest of the season is right here? It's looking at these young guys and it's watching Sandy.
1: Yeah, just young guys <laughs> and, and watching Sandy, absolutely. But but also um, the the schedule that the Marlins have um, coming up ahead of them, it's <laughs> it's tough. Yes, it is and those those are teams that are that want to win every single day, every single game because they are fighting for a playoff spot i think that's going to be very good for them as well because maybe the Marlins yeah. do, do not have that type of pressure but playing that type of baseball it's completely different and that's yep. the the way they need uh to to play obviously from 2023 things opening day until the last day of the season and and having that type of experience for the next 2 months is going to be huge for them
0: yeah being able to see these guys play against teams that are legitimately like competing for something yeah. will will allow, you know, we talk about it all the time that this you know, the old September call up, like what does that really mean? There's so many teams that you're playing that aren't really in it anymore. There's teams that are setting up their rotations going forward. So to have guys come up right now and see like you mentioned, I mean, it's the Padres, it's the Dodgers, it's the Braves. I think the Phillies are later this month, too. Like a bunch of teams that are clearly competing for positioning within in the playoffs. They're going to face the best shot of these guys. And so you, it will be a way to be able to evaluate. But, okay, before we wrap up, I've got to take people huh, inside <laughs> baseball. Uh, we all talk quite a bit about everything but baseball, um, pregame uh, at, at Lone Depot Park. Um, one of the lovely arguments that we have been having um, for a couple of e- feels like years now. Um, so I'm, as most of you know, a pretty gigantic fan of the show Shits Creek. If you, you don't n- say. If you have not watched it. <laughs> if you have not watched it, folks. Netflix. It's great. Before every TV network goes I, down and I, all, I, these, I, all these all these streaming I services go away. Danny, whatever. All right. So. Yeah. Uh, well, let's but, get but
1: I, I finished Stranger Things a couple nights ago, okay. so now it's a good time to. All right.
0: Yeah, now's a perfect time. Okay, yeah. so, but. Now but he's
2: the... got Kate Bush stuff in his head, so.
0: Yeah, he needs to get. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. But all that said, I love Schitt's Creek, but there's the obvious comparison that ends up happening uh, nice, kind hearted show to another nice, kind hearted show in Ted Lasso. And both Christina and Jordan have been giving me the runaround on. Ted Lasso is better than Schitt's Creek. And while folks, I love Ted Lasso, I'm not quite w- willing to make the jump. So I'm just going to seed the floor um, and let you guys either make your pitch or just tell me the things that it is that you love about that show uh, that makes it so unique and special and and why you like to bully me about it.
3: I guess I'll start with this because <laughs> we've been doing this for a while now and I will say the only reason I actually watched Shits Creek from start to finish is, is because a certain host of this of this podcast episode <laughs> has pestered me about it for years and I finally said, you know what, I'll watch it. And that's the truth. I, and I got through it from start to finish. I don't mind the show. No. Oh, it's God. not oh. bad. It's not bad. It's uh, not bad. I that don't it's, mind. No, it's just not, no, but not as good. Is, yeah. It's not I don't hold it in such regard as Jeremy does. I don't feel like it is this the top show in of I'm all shows i am not publishing this I've anymore.
0: Watched. The whole episode's getting scrapped.
3: J- J- Jeremy, you knew that this Jeremy, was coming. I, I you know knew this was coming. I, I set mean, you, it. you up for it, it. it. I set you.
0: I set you up for it. Yeah.
3: Yes. And again, I like the show. It was good. <laughs> is it a show that I'm openly going to go back and go? Yeah, I'm going to rewatch this again. Probably not. Ted Lasso, I will say again. And I know you're. We've had this discussion offline. Yeah, many, yeah. many times for me. I don't really compare the two shows, right? I just the timing that Ted Lasso came out when it came out during the pandemic. Yep. the feel good story. The feel good show that we really it felt like we needed we during needed. that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm a I'm also a big Jason Sudeikis fan. Oh, so that also that also pulled me in. And unlike Chits Creek, I was able to get hooked from Ted Lasso right from the, the opening minutes for me, a show where when the exact argument you gave me was You need to get to season two. If I have to watch an entire season of a show before I get into it, with the limited amount of time I have when I'm not covering a baseball game, it's really, is that worth my time? These are all fair arguments. That's where my
0: logic comes in on that. I'm not going to debate you on – just about anything you said i still love season 1 of shit's creek my my thought process when i tell people that is like that's when it starts really hitting it in stride is season 2 you know and it's a 6 season arc i think that once ted lasso wraps up and it's only six. a 3 season it's 6 6, six seasons Dan. 6 seasons they're 20 minute episodes dude you're going to love it it's going to be great it's easy easy but uh, the, the thing that ends up happening there is once Ted Lasso actually wraps up whatever its plot is, I think that's when I'll be able to compare them as like holistic shows, right? Yeah. Because what I, what we're doing here is taking a show that is six full seasons done start to end and we know what the ending is. And we, in my view, it's like it couldn't have ended better. With Ted Lasso, there's still the risk. There's still the risk. The, it, and I'm not. I'm not rooting for it. By the way, I
1: love no. Ted Lasso. Hello, I love I, Ted Lasso. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm not. Are you nervous? Like, I, I'm nervous. I don't want to have high expectations.
2: You gotta but, believe. I gotta. I gotta. Uh, back
1: there. Boom. I, gotta <laughs> I gotta. I gotta <laughs> believe. I. I believed in in Ted Lasso like before, or not before. Like when these couple guys were giving me a hard time, like, you need to watch it, you need to yeah. watch it, you need to watch it. We so were I... to
3: Danny as so, Jeremy was to... So, <laughs> yes, so yes. I,
1: I started watching and I got through like 10 minutes of the first episode. Then something came up, I couldn't keep watching. Then I went on the road with Jordan, we were in Tampa. Tampa. I don't we think start, I knew start. We start watching Ted Lasso and then 10 minutes after, okay, we gotta go, we gotta, we gotta head to the stadium. Let's no. Look, okay. So this is not happening, I guess. I got COVID in December, so it's like, what would I do now? Watch Ted Lasso, of course. There you go. <laughs> so then I ended up the show like in three days or something. Yeah,
0: of course. And it's amazing. Of course.
1: Like, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I got my brother into it, my mm. father, my girlfriend, everybody. Uh, and I need to get... Everyone and drive to survive with Formula One as well. I'm 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 i I'm, that I'm, I'm into that. Okay, I haven't ahead.
0: watched yet, but I'm into it. I'm 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 here to be swayed. Is or my oh go man? And, and
1: do
0: it. Yeah. You, for those not in the uh, watching audience of that one, Danny just held up his. Uh, what is that? A Mitsubishi hat? Is that?
1: oh it, it was a ferrari hat
0: it was a ferrari hat ferrari everybody with, everybody chill i was just with, trying to make leclerc. him upset
1: with with charles leclerc yeah
0: yeah i can't i can't say his name any more than i can say LeBron. leblanc <laughs> uh christina uh just from your your vantage point um what are some of the things that you love most about ted lasso i'll give you i'll give you this space
2: i was gonna throw you off and say what i love most about Shit's creek
0: please please there do was-
2: there was not a better song to work out to and almost hurt yourself doing pull-ups. <laughs> a, little than, bit a little bit Alexis.
0: <laughs> oh man. For though okay, this is a must. For those of you who have not watched the show and and the context is sort of important, but it's also not important at all. When you stop listening to this podcast and and please continue to listen all the way through. But when you stop listening to this podcast, go search a little bit Alexis on YouTube and watch that performance by Annie Murphy. It is one of the funniest things I have watched in a sitcom. I loved every second of it. And yes, I also bumped that song at the gym, Christina. It's amazing. Uh well, and speaking of songs, let's let's get to your passion here. Uh, as as those again who are in the, the viewing audience, uh can see her just dance hat. Lady Gaga, um, you're going to a concert in just a few days, I believe. First of two.
2: Washington and Miami.
0: Okay, so Christina is a fan. Uh but I, what I really, actually, really, really want to talk about with Lady Gaga is, as of a couple of hours ago, it was announced that she will be in the sequel to the Joker movie called Joker Filet adu Oh,
2: you kill, you butchered
0: that. Uh, it's fine. I don't. You know. I'm. Please here. Actually, why don't you go ahead? Give me the give me the pronunciation before I continue.
2: Filet-A-Doo.
0: Yeah, that's way better. Uh, I yeah, just remember yeah. it from the Fall Out Boy album from when I was I was about to say grade. that. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, yeah. the only way yeah. I knew it was the Fall Out Boy album. Uh, but nonetheless, it's going to be a musical. Um, I'm so into it. I'm so into it. Christina, oh, you're so
1: into musicals, yeah.
0: Uh, first of all, musicals. Second yeah. of all, I, okay, yes, into musicals. Second of all, the idea that the Joker would become a musical is one of the funniest Absolutely. things that I've ever heard in my entire life. So, Christina... Uh, not to just seed the floor once again and say wax poetic, but um, the thing about Lady Gaga that makes her above all other performers and then your thoughts on this Joker movie.
2: There was a time years ago when I was just uh, the whippersnapper to Mr. Joe Fizarro, uh where it might have been honestly my internship year with him uh-huh. where he asked me, uh, you know, like there's a boat. And uh, it's going down, and you can only save one Lady Gaga or Katy Perry, who you save. And I said, Lady Gaga, because she, you know, is this humanitarian. She's not just a performer, but, mm. you know, all of the other stuff. And, you know, I guess I was proven true. But honestly, <laughs> uh, yes. what was the first question? No. Uh, am I excited for it? Yes. yes. I, you know, honestly, but going back to you, you were saying the idea of Joker as a musical. Uh-huh. I mean, there's that scene from the movie where he's kind of dancing and Uh right. wasn't after his first kill, maybe in the the grimy bathrooms. Oh
0: man, man. That movie was real disturbing. Huh?
2: But I mean, honestly, uh, her as I think, right. Harley Quinn. I mean, I'm not a big comic book hero person, but she's over the top. So I can't think of anything better than, uh, a Joker musical and, uh, playing alongside, Phoenix. both of them seem to be into the method acting so that's uh, gonna be an interesting
0: set it's gonna be Basically. absolutely bonkers and I'm so here for it my, my hope and I was saying to this to you before we started my hope is that they swing literally the complete opposite direction and make it a super camp musical so they go from like this movie that anybody who actually wanted to see the follow up follow up to the first Joker will hate the sequel and anyone who didn't really love the first one will love the sequel because I think that's the funniest thing you could do and kind of a genius business strategy in a way. Because well, like all the, all the people are going to see the sequel to it anyway that really liked the first one even if they know they're not going to like it. And then if you could bring me and Christina into it, hey, we're here for the second one now. I'm just saying, it's not a bad money-making move. Although it's, I believe, 26 months from today is when it comes out. So you could have like, you know, Two and a half kids in that time.
2: Hey, the, uh, <laughs> the, the last time she did a tour, I've seen her a couple of times in Vegas, which also Don Mattingly did, so everyone else should too. Don uh, Mattingly, Gaga, Collision Course. Gaga fan, yes. But the, uh, I mean, her last tour was 2016, so this is it has been a long time. time. It's a moment. But, I, but with the Joker, it's interesting, the video and the post she had earlier was, you know, silhouettes of clearly her and Phoenix, and mm-hmm. it's too cheek to cheek. Which is you know the jazz, uh, and it kind of brings back to Tony Bennett and her, her uh-huh. first jazz album. He had his
0: 96th birthday yesterday. So. Hey, look at all these fun facts!
1: I know. And
2: that's I'm what happy. you
0: can
1: get with you came, these three. You can't exactly. You came yeah. for baseball, and you yeah. you get you get fun Instead facts to get about the... Tony
0: Bennett's birthday. That's well, that's why everybody stuck with... around.
3: When you have a conversation with
0: Christina, there's always a
3: minimum, a maximum of the six degrees. There's a six degrees that are getting Lady Gaga into the conversation. Yep. Or in we Watson. Just, we yeah. just
2: need to find a- Oh, I know. I, I don't know what she's up to these days. But, uh, oh, well, I know how we can tie it back in. We often we get referred to as U3. Like the Ron, Hermione, and hey, Harry, yeah. the McGonagall. Three.
1: I, 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 I made that meme a couple of months yeah, ago, sure. and I, I think. I If
0: think. there's to news t- happening, why is it always do, you three? Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Tweet it out with the link to this episode when we're done, all right? <laughs>
1: okay, I need to fix it, but yeah. <laughs> that will be perfect. All
0: right. Well, so, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I just want to say thank you to all three of you. Um, if you don't already, follow all three of them on Twitter. Um, if you don't already go ahead and follow them on Instagram too, I don't want, I'm just, you know, it's a thing to do, but really check out all of, all of their work. Um, they're all great writers um and great at everything else that they do in covering this team and and truthfully like I feel lucky to have you guys around doing this on the daily basis doing sort of the 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 in their everyday work that needs to be done to cover a team um it's a grind 162 games we talk about it as a marathon for the players it can be a marathon uh for media members as well thank you to the three of you for for joining and uh, hopefully talk to you guys again soon. I'll know I'll you know, I'll see you in like a week, but you know, for, for the podcast <laughs> audience.
1: <laughs> talk to you soon.
2: Thanks for Thanks having, having me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really, really really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.
0: Woo! Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'D Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.